0: Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. We are uh, continuing in our studies on the Sermon on the Mount. And we've had about five weeks, have we? In... Um in the sermon so far. Looked at persecution, looked at evangelism, looked at adultery, anger. Last week we looked at lying. Uh, Today we're going to finish chapter 5, by the grace of God, excuse me. And we're going to look at this set of verses that's actually caused the. A number of people, quite a bit of upset, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, we've seem to have opened up the Olympic Games, and um, um, some verses that, of course, some people to be a little bit upset. So it's, I think, this some of this material may really, really help you, particularly in answering people's objections. Uh, you'll you'll see what I mean. Matthew chapter five. And picking up from verse 38, Jesus speaking, and uh, this is what he says. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Verse 43, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. Isn't that great? It's his son isn't that great? Not the son, his son. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain, his rain, on the righteous and the unrighteous. All these verses will all make perfect sense in a moment, as, as you'll see. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit, of wisdom and revelation be released now not to make us educated further or give us some more information, but that we might be better people at five o'clock today, all of us, than we are now. So Lord, let us be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ more and more. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Amen. The opening uh, of the Sermon on the Mount, if you remember it, the beautiful attitudes, you know, blessed are the pure, blessed are the meek, blessed are the, uh, of those who suffer, opened up a theme which is now being also hinted at here, which is the theme of, of having to suffer for the sake of being righteous. Any gospel that teaches you that if you follow Jesus now your problems are gone is, is not a good and accurate Bible gospel. The, the, the gospel tells us that as we follow Jesus we end up many times with these problems gone, but now we have some other problems that we didn't have before we were following him. Many times when people are struggling with their lives, struggling with relationships, if they weren't a Christian it would be easy to sort out their Uh, issues. It's because you're a Christian that it becomes more difficult to sort out your issues because you have uh, the commandments of God to uh, have forever in front of your eyes. And the commandments of God are sometimes uh, challenging to obey. That's why people reject the gospel many times because it's too too difficult to do. Jesus said that if you're going to follow me, there are going to be times when you're going to have to pay for it, you're going to have struggles because you are uh, one, of my, one of my people, because you are a follower of my, not just of me as a person, but of my standards and of my, of my commandments. And this, these last few verses of chapter 5 kind of bring that theme back a little bit. They paint it in a different way, but it's sort of going in roughly the same uh, direction. They further highlight this this theme of of the challenge of the Christian life, while um, encouraging the believer to behave just like God behaves, and that's the that's the last verse there, verse forty eight. All this about uh, not insisting on your rights, and sometimes uh, having people take things from you, and all this—it's all about. Uh, it's, it's, it's not about being a mug, it's not about being a mug, uh, it's not about being a pushover, but it is about having the same kind of personality as the Father himself has, as we, will, as we will see. Let's just begin with this thing about an eye for an eye, the whole issue of um, revenge, if you like. And this is what I meant when I said sometimes things are, there are issues of controversy because people will often say to you uh, in the street or more often, of course, at the workplace, well, the Bible is a very harsh book, especially the Old Testament, very harsh book. Because in the Bible, doesn't it say an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? In fact, your friend at work is only Half quoting the Bible, if they knew what it really said, it would sound, it's actually even, it can sound even harsher. Because in one of the uh, passages it mentions this, it says, a fracture for a fracture, a foot for a foot. I bet you never heard anyone quote that to you. But it's there in the scripture. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And people get a bit uh, upset about this because it sounds very tough, doesn't it? So it's very harsh. Is this the kind of God? That you show up on Sundays to worship, is this the kind of uh, <coughs> is this the kind of religion you have, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth? This is one of the most misunderstood uh, areas of the Old Testament, I think, and as we said right at the beginning of this course a few weeks ago, what Jesus is wanting to do through this sermon is to bring people back to the heart of God, where the commandments had been misapplied and and, uh, and misappropriated, really, in the lives of people. First of all, let me just say this about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It was never intended to be literally applied. How do we know that? Because it never was literally applied. There is nowhere in Old Testament history when anyone put out someone's eye because they'd had their eye put out. It was never literally applied, never in the history of the Old Testament. And certainly not under the auspice of, you know, God. Someone might have been punched and punched the other bloke back, but that, that happens, you know, that happens on St. Andrew Street every Friday night, doesn't it? It's no, that's nothing to do with God. That's just to do with human nature. So number one, it was never literally applied. And number two, the whole point of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is not about revenge. It's about the limitation on retribution. In other words, it's an eye for an eye. It's not a head for your eye, right? It's not someone's death for your eye. It's an eye for an eye. That's what, the, that's what this law was supposed to be about. That retribution, that justice would be curtailed and made reasonable rather than a sense of revenge. It was supposed to limit <coughs> retribution. It wasn't supposed to encourage retribution. And But what's Jesus saying here? He's saying, this is what you've got in the law. In the law, there is justice. You can have justice. But he says this, but I say to you, that although you have certain legal rights, you don't have to use them if you don't want to. You have heard that it was said, let me let me paraphrase it. You have heard that it was said in the law, if anyone does you harm, you can uh, prosecute them for it. But I say to you, if you are, are harmed by someone, you don't have to pursue them for it. You can forgive them for it. That's what these verses are really all about. And he uses these amazing examples here. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. We, um, we may not understand this, maybe sitting in Cambridge today, although some here may. But uh, this is a cultural thing. In the East... To be struck on the right cheek was one of the greatest forms of personal offense that could occur. And we'll come back to that in a moment. He says, if someone wants to take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. That means if somebody wants to take your, your shirt, give him your coat as well. Now, It's very interesting because in the law of Moses you could take someone's coat but you had to return it by the end of the day. It's not a great deal, is it? But you had to return it by the end of the day because the guy can't do without his coat. So that's kind of interesting that uh, such a change has has been wrought there. (coughs) And then this other verse here about if someone forces you to go a mile, go with him two miles, you may or may not know that a Roman soldier in this day and generation could go up to a Jew and say to them, you will now carry my pack for uh, a thousand steps, which is where we today get the word mile from. Uh, uh, the word "milli" in Greek, is a, it means a thousand thousand, which is uh, where we get the word million, you see, today. But the word "milli" just simply means a thousand, so he, he would, and which is where we get the English word mile, M-I-L-E. A Roman soldier could say, you carry my my stuff for one mile. He was allowed to do that. What does Jesus say? If a Roman soldier says to you, carry my pack for a mile... After a mile, you could put it down, couldn't you? And say, aha, but you've run out of your legal power now because I've done my mile. He's likely to hit you on the head with a sword and make you do it again. (coughs) But assuming you were bold enough to refute him, Jesus says, why don't you go the extra mile? And this, of course, has come into our common language, hasn't it? Going the extra mile for people. So what Jesus is saying here, It's not so much he's saying if someone comes up to you in the street and punches you to the floor that you have to, as a Christian, lie there and go, "I better get up and have him hit me again." It's, it's. uh, I mean, you may want to do that after you've, uh, while you're on the floor, phone the police then before you get up. That would be my advice. But it's not so much to do with that. It's to do with the principle of not insisting. On your rights. And people often have said, you know, well, that's all very well for God to say. But you know, when did God ever have to face this this kind of problem? Well, he did during the days of the cross of Calvary. I don't know whether you ever saw this before, but everything Jesus says here is fulfilled in him. Jesus says to them, if someone strikes you and slaps you, let them do it again. The Bible says when Jesus was taken before the, the, uh, in the presence of Pilate and by the Praetorian guard, it said they struck him many times. The Bible says that they stripped him of his clothes. Even his, uh, his you know, I mean all of his clothing, his outer garment, his long singular garment was taken off him. Jesus faced these very things he's teaching them about here. He faced all of them. What about having to carry something for a Roman? Do you think he ever did that? When he picked up his cross and took it to Calvary Hill? This, at the time when Jesus spoke it, would have just seemed like a sermon full of little stories. Oh, what about if you're hit? What about if you have to carry something? What about if your clothes are taken away? But all of these things were going to happen to him. Can you see that? But the hearers, they would have had no idea. But by the Spirit, he was speaking about his own future. And that he would indeed carry his cross a thousand steps and more. That he would indeed have his clothing taken away and not returned to him. that he would indeed be struck many times and unable to retaliate. Now, how does this work in practice today? Do we mean that if we have a car accident, you know, you're, you're just driving home and uh, you're just pulling out of, I don't know, St. Matthew Street and as you're pulling around the corner, there's a, I don't know, a, let's say a a new driver, someone who just passed their driving test. Um, just, just pulling out, excited, I can drive now, Lee, you know, driving, and, uh, and bang, you know, you, the car's hit, and what's you going to do? Are we saying the Bible says you don't have to swap addresses? No, 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 that's all right. In fact, hit me again. I don't think it means that. I don't think it means if a burglar breaks into your house and steals your stuff, you shouldn't phone the police. We're not talking about that sense of that level of criminal justice here. I think this is more to do with the personal justice. Because I've not been wronged by a burglar, but I've been wronged by a friend. I've not been wronged by a murderer but I've been wronged by a work colleague. I might have been wronged by a family member or someone in the church sitting next to me or some such thing, you know. Or probably not sitting next to me now. And what Jesus is saying is this. Of of course, in in the human society, there's levels of revenge. He said, but you don't have to take revenge. Because we're supposed to love our enemies. That's what he goes on to say. Why don't we read a little bit more? You've heard that it was said, verse forty-three: "Love your neighbor and hate your enemy." Now, let me just flag flag this up so we all understand. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says, "Love your neighbor and hate your enemy." So uh, that's what he's say. he's not saying. You've heard it's you know you know that it's written this. It's not written to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He said, you heard it said that you could, you know, it's almost like they reasoned it. Okay, I'm going to love my neighbor. That means I can hate my enemy. Glory to God. I've got permission. I, I can love my neighbor. But I have to hate my enemy. And that's why the Jews asked Jesus, of course, well, then who is my neighbor, you see? And he had an interesting answer for them, didn't he? No. He says, verse 44, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Love your enemies. What does this teach us? I think loving people who aren't very nice to us is probably one of the most difficult things that we'll ever have to do. The problem I've found with people who aren't very nice to us is, by and large, they don't go away. They tend to hang around. And when one person who's not very nice to you goes, oh, look, another one hath come to take their place. Now, I teach all the time, that you are allowed to choose your friends. I'm allowed to choose who are my friends. And so are you. And we should make really good choices. Don't have friends that pull you down or lead you in an ungodly way. Okay? As much as it's possible for you, you have the power to decide who speaks into your life, who you hang around with. You don't have that power with your family, but you have that power with your friends. I decide who is going to be my friend or not. Just because somebody wants to be my friend doesn't mean they are. I'm going to decide if they are. And so are you. Okay? We've got that power to do that. The Bible says to us, He who walks with the wise grows wise, and a companion of fools suffers harm. So we should make the most, some of the wisest choices that we should make in our life are the people that we allow into our life. But of course, we don't always have, we're not living in heaven, we don't have that full choice. You can't go into work and decide that the lady working in the same office needs to be fired and arrange it. She's going to be there tomorrow. Or that guy that you're working with, he's going to be there tomorrow. Or later on tonight or whenever it is you work. So, uh, uh, we're going to find that there are people in our life that we're going to find difficult. What does Jesus tell us to do with these people? He does not tell us to trust them. He does not Tell us to open our arms and spend all our time with them. We don't have to do that. But you're not allowed to hate them. You have to love them. Why would you want to do that? Why would you have to do that? Well, we found the answer. Because that's what the Father is like. What does it mean at the end of this chapter to be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect? It's exactly this, that he sends, where does it say it? Verse 45, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God is good to people who hate him. So, so should we be. So should we be. Now, God does not share his heart with people who hate him, right? There there is a barrier, but he is good to people who hate him. He sends his sun and his rain. Here in this context, rain is a good thing, okay, rather than a a bad thing. (coughs) Excuse me. He sends the sun and the rain. On the good and the bad alike. The righteous and the unrighteous alike. And Jesus says, I want you to be the same as him. I want you to be just like the father. He's good to people who've rejected him, who don't want anything to do with him. He's still good to them. He loves them. And Jesus says, you should should do the same. Having enemies. Just two very quick things about having enemies before we're done. Number one, it means that Christians do have enemies. Uh, being a follower of Jesus will sometimes mean having enemies. And this is picking up what we said right, right, right at the beginning. You're going to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Not everyone's going to like you. Not everyone's going uh, to think that you're the best thing that ever happened. Now, let's be really clear. We've said this a hundred times, but yeah, it has to be said again and again and again. Being a godly uh, or, uh, you know, a seemingly godly bigot is not a blessing. Being a, uh, uh, a judge and a jury at work, you shouldn't be doing this, you're a sinner, you know. That's not making the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Which is what we're commanded to do in Titus 2 and verse 10. The Bible says this, that we are the light of the world, right? Can you say amen? The light of the world. So it's supposed to be attractive. Salt and light are attractive things. So we're supposed to be attractive. You're not supposed to be repellent or repulsive as a Christian. You're supposed to be attractive as a Christian. But living life the Jesus way is likely to get you into trouble as well as having some gospel fruit. Because some people will misunderstand you, some people will misrepresent you. I think I told a story a few weeks ago, but it's fun to tell it again. I remember when I when I became a Christian, all you had to do in your workplace was say something like, "Well, yes, I was I was at church yesterday," and immediately everyone goes crazy. Oh, he's he's ramming the Bible down our throats. I think well, I didn't I, I didn't mention the Bible. I don't know any of the Bible. I've only been a Christian 10 minutes. How could I ram it down your throat? I ramming the Bible down. But you know, people are offended, aren't they? Straight away. Put up the barriers, you know, etc. So Christians are going to have enemies. Why don't you just turn to John 15 very, very quickly. John's Gospel, chapter 15. Where this is a sort of a, a promise of the Word of God. That sometimes we're not going to be as popular as we'd like. John chapter 15, and picking up verse 18, Jesus speaking, he said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. I have chosen you out of the world." And that is why the world hates you. Now, I want to say it again. Being a Pharisee, a Sadducee, a religious bigot, uh, a holier-than-thou, you know, religious deadhead, that is not the kind of life we're talking about. When you're in in the environment, well, in any environment, of course, but particularly in the environment when you're trying to Uh, Let the light of God shine through. You can be despised for that and that would be your own fault. But hear what Jesus, because Jesus wasn't any of those things. Jesus was the friend of tax collectors and sinners. And yet, and yet, he says this, but don't be surprised because you see, if the world hates me, it's going to hate you. The reason the world doesn't love you is because you're not part of it. He goes on to say, you know, a, a student is not greater than his master. Verse 20, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So number one, Christians who live this radical life will have Uh, We're using the word enemies because it's the Bible word, but you're going to have conflicts. I hope, number two, that you also pick this up, that while you may have enemies, in a sense, you will not have enemies. Uh, By that, I mean, they are not your enemies. I do not have any enemies. Because if I start having enemies, that suggests that I don't don't love them. So we're not to treat anyone as an enemy. We're to treat them the way the Father treats the world. Don't turn to it, but there's a great verse, Luke 6, verse 35, says this God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. I want to say it again. God is kind. To the ungrateful and the wicked. Let me ask myself here. When's the last time I was kind to the ungrateful and the wicked? When's the last time you? Or, uh, of course, a better question. When's the next time we're going to be kind to the ungrateful and the wicked? What kind of love is this? It's no good just saying, oh, I love everyone. It's like the young man who just was madly in love with this girl. And this girl came into a a room, and there he was, but there were others there. And she looked at this boy, and he was madly in love with her, his heart beating away. And the girl said this, I love you. And he went, oh. And she went, I love everybody. <laughs> and suddenly ugh. Oh well back to square one. <laughs> That's quite funny, isn't it? What does it mean to love our what does it mean to love our enemies? What does it mean? Well, if we take this the example of the story Jesus told about Loving Our Neighbor, which is the story of the Good Samaritan. About the guy who fell among the thieves and the Good Samaritan, you know, comes along and helps him. He helps him. Do you know what? He doesn't he walk by, see the guy and think, you know what? I must send him a, a love note later. Yeah, I must send him a, a card wishing him well. Uh, I, must, I must poke him on Facebook later on today. No. He helps him. So The kind of love that the Bible talks about is the expensive kind, the practical kind, not the sentimental kind. Sentiment is fairly easy. I said to Jane this morning, I said, I really, really love you. And she said, do you want to go and put the kettle on? And then I had to (laughs) reevaluate how much love I really had Cause it's easy to speak, isn't it? Quite another thing to put the kettle on when you're cosy and warm. Yes, sir. <coughs> if you want to know who put the kettle on in the end, ask me at the end. Don't ask Jane, because she'll tell you it was her. It was her. No, God is talking about the about the practical love, isn't he? Not the sentimental love. Sentimental love is wonderful. Practical love much more in keeping with the way the Father blesses the world. So what do we learn at the end of this chapter, the end of this part of the sermon? Let me finish. We learn that in life there are conflicts that can happen. And as we said, if someone does identity theft on you, if someone robs your purse, if someone... Hits you in the street, someone bangs into your car, someone breaks into your house. Of course, uh, Jesus isn't suggesting that you say, oh, just let, just let them get away with it. Uh, if you're wealthy enough to allow that to happen, then God bless you. But it may be just not, it's not possible for you to just let people steal from you. Because you also have a godly responsibility to look after your family as well and things like that. But what about that interpersonal level? Never mind the legal level, the interpersonal level. Jesus says you don't have to insist on your rights. You don't have to insist on an apology from someone. You don't have to insist that someone makes things up. Why don't you just forgive them? Let the offense go. Let the offense go. Revenge is not a Bible concept. And we will have conflicts with people But they are not our enemies. We may be their enemy, but they're not our enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers. They are the foe. And we're supposed to let the light of God so shine before men that they may see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. Let's read one passage. I won't comment on it. Let's just read it. Romans chapter 12. And just picking up from some thoughts written by the Apostle Paul that sum up, really, this last part of the Sermon on the Mount. And thank you for listening to me today and uh, putting up with my ill health voice. Here's what the Apostle says, Romans 12 and verse 14. Almost as though he had heard Jesus' sermon, although of course he hadn't. And um, almost repeating it, he says this, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone." Evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to revenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings,